Good morning, everyone, and happy Wednesday, or whatever day it is that you are listening to this. For me, it is Wednesday, um, and I told you I'd be back soon. I know you didn't believe it. I didn't believe it either, um, but here we are, what, like two days later? Um, so I thought that it was finally a good time to kind of talk about why I'm going into what I'm going into, why I'm so passionate about what I'm passionate about, and um, kind of where that started, where I'm at now, and, you know, just some things that I've had to struggle with along the way. And um, I will say this is going to be kind of a darker subject, uh, so I will go ahead and um, I'm going to break it into probably about two parts because it is um, over a span of like 20, almost 22 years now. Um, but I think it's important to spread awareness about things, um, especially in regard to mental health, mental illness, um, whether that be you struggling with mental illness or living at home with someone who struggles with mental illness. And, you know, thankfully now in like this year that we're living in 2022 mental health and like the stigma that surrounds it is a lot more understanding and a lot more open uh but back in the year 2000 it was a little different and i feel like we still could definitely make some improvements as a society and as a like worldwide not just you know uh where I live in the U.S., but just in so many different countries, and, you know, I, I think it's still an important thing to talk about, and I believe that, you know, we all deal with our own demons, and sometimes it feels like we're alone until we hear other people that have dealt with the same thing, or maybe dealing with the same things or something very similar and it just it helps in so many ways to know that you're not alone and that you're not just like you're not alone there's thousands millions of people that um struggle with mental illness or you know live in a household with someone who does and I just, I just think it's important to share and, you know, like I just want to use whatever platform I have, whether it be this podcasting or, you know, once I finish school and hopefully get to achieve everything that I want to achieve, I just want to help in any way, shape or form. And if that means telling my story, then so be it. Um, but like I said, it is kind of going to be a little darker. Um, it will most likely be more than one episode and I will go ahead and give a trigger warning for this episode. And if it doesn't end up being a second episode, um, there as well. Um, I will be talking about, uh, suicidal ideations, um, psychiatric hospitals, um, 
body mutilation, um, self-harm. So if that's something that bothers you or triggers something, um, either don't listen or listen with, proceed with caution um, because I'm going to be 100% open, honest, and real. So, um, yeah. And I also do want to start by saying if you are struggling with anything and you need someone to talk to, I'm going to go ahead and link phone numbers in this episode's, um, I guess, description. Um, do not hesitate to reach out to anyone, um, ever, regardless of what it is that you're struggling with. Call suicide prevention hotlines. Just know that you're not alone and remember that. Um, so I, as a child, was always very, um, empathetic always I've always been a very empathetic person and if you don't know what empathetic means it just means that I can sense someone's emotions Um, I can sense how they're feeling and I sometimes don't like it um, because I can definitely I won't always say anything to the person depending on who it is I you know mind I mind my own business but I can definitely feel when someone isn't feeling their best and I just feel the energy like I I don't know how to explain it it is almost like like a like an energy transfer is the best way I can describe it it's sometimes exhausting but I also feel like it's definitely a gift um, because not everybody is empathetic unfortunately Um, Not everyone can emotionally put themselves in someone else's shoes and kind of imagine what that person is dealing with, what that person is feeling. And I definitely feel like, you know, as looking back at who I was as a child, um, I think it's always been present in me that this is what I'm, you know, like I'm into help people. And obviously at the time I was fucking like six, seven, I didn't know what psychology was or that I was going to be going into the field. But I think from then, from, you know, as a young child, that was just the path that I was meant to go down. Um, Because I think that it's important to be able to, you know, put yourself in someone else's situation emotionally and just be there for them, you know? Um... But like I said, it is, it is exhausting. And when I was young, um, and you'll see how that all fits in. Um, but you know, when I was young, I grew up, uh, with my mom and my dad. Uh, my sister is 11 years older than I am. So she wasn't there for a whole lot of my childhood. She left when I was about seven because uh, she was 18 at the time, so, you know, she moved out of the house, uh, she moved across the country, but, um, from that point on, you know, I was kind of alone, but before her leaving, it was kind of like that cliche, 
relationship that like siblings have, especially when the sibling, like they're significantly different in age. There's a huge difference. Um, you kind of don't want to hang out with your kid sister. And so, you know, we never really had, um, that great of a relationship. Um, we did have, of course we had our fun times where she would build, you know, little forts with me and she would like do my makeup and do my hair. Like just, you know, we did have fun, but for the most part, it was just me. And, um, I always talk about, um, or maybe not always, but I've mentioned a few times on here that, uh, my dad and I are very close. So that was really my person as a kid. I mean, even now, but my dad pretty much has done, did everything other than give birth to me. Um, I know that probably sounds super dramatic, but in all seriousness, um, he was the one that took care of me. He, when I was sick, he took care of me. Um, when I was upset, he was the one there comforting me. Um, so in all respects, he kind of is my mom and my dad. Um, so I spent a lot of time with him and, um, my mom at the time, she was uh, a registered nurse. She was labor and delivery and she would work the night shift. So anybody that works the night shift or has a parent that works the night shift, you know, they sleep all day. So she would go to work from 7 PM to 7 AM and then she would come home and we would have to be quiet, super quiet. And of course, you know, I would go to school, but when I got home in the afternoon, if my mom was not awake, um, we had to be very quiet. Like it was, I get it, you know, she had to work, but being a child, like it's very hard to be quiet. Like you have to like slowly close the doors. Can't talk like above a whisper because you don't want to wake her up because she would lash out and, you know, she was tired and, you know, this was back in like, at this point was probably the late nineties. So mental illness wasn't really talked about. It was kind of like swept under the rug, I guess. And was kind of sort of like taboo. People didn't really want to talk about it. Um, there were still places in the world. I mean, there's still places in the world now where, um, people that exhibit any sort of mental illness are chained to beds and, exiled from their communities because they're looked at as animals or of the devil, you know? So it wasn't talked about. It wasn't, um, known. And we just chalked it up to her being tired or having anger issues. Like she was very, she would become very irate a lot, a lot of the time. And, um, you kind of never knew what you were going to get. She was either going to be in a very good mood when she woke up or on her day off, or she was not going to be in a very good mood and she would be putting, um, my sister down for her weight, her grades, uh, whatever the case may be. And, you know, she was at times a very hard person to be in the same room with. And, you know, so I, I definitely don't blame my sister for leaving as soon as she turned 18 because it was a very, it was a very toxic household and it, it was hard even as a young child. So I can't, 
even imagine being a teenager in high school and dealing with everything that you already have to deal with in school, your body changing, you know, you're going through all these hormonal changes and you don't know what the fuck is going on and you literally just feel like a stranger in your own skin, like you don't know your asshole from a hole in the ground, you know, like, and then you come home and you're just in this hostile environment and you're being treated like this by someone that's supposed to love you and care for you. And I'm sure that just made things more difficult for her. So I know for a long time she thought I resented her for leaving, but I never, ever could have because, like I said, that must have been a very difficult situation. It must have been tough. And, you know, me, myself, still carrying around the trauma that I carry when I was, you know, still a young child and... I mean, I was growing up and going through my own changes, but it's a little different. Um, A child from like five to eight, as opposed to a teenager who's like 16 to 18, you know? So, um, as soon as she turned 18, she she got the fuck out of here. And uh, it kind of only went downhill from there. I don't remember a whole lot um, from the time my sister left to my eighth birthday um, as far as if there was like a huge shift in my mom's behavior. She was still working. Um, She was still angry, but I can't say that I remember there was a huge significant change. Um, It was just once again, just me and my dad and we would go to family parties, you know, by ourselves. He would take me to school go with me on like school field trips and was just my bestie and it kind of sucked I couldn't really have friends come over to the house uh, because like I said you could barely talk above a whisper and um, so I spent time that I wasn't with my dad um, I spent it reading books about animals and my dad bought me this super cool a VHS box set. I think it had like 10 or 12 VHS tapes in it. And uh, it just was all about the different species and all kinds of shit, man. I just, I loved learning about animals. And it was kind of my, I guess, escape um, because it was something that I could do quietly. Or I would, you know, play with my hamster or my, I think I had a guinea pig at the time, one of the two. And, um, it was just always a very quiet household, so I couldn't have friends over really, and I wasn't allowed to go over at anybody's house, and at the time, of course, I hated it, but now, like, I am so thankful that my dad never really allowed me to go over to a lot of people's houses, um, but it definitely made for, like, a lonely childhood, um, and then on my eighth birthday, that's kind of when everything changed and kind of where everything kind of goes dark. So this is also another trigger warning. Um, I will be talking about, um, attempted suicide and some other dark shit right now. So, um, if that triggers you or that's just too much, then, Um, 
this is a your warning to proceed with caution or to peace the fuck out um but for my eighth birthday my dad took me to hurricane harbor and for anyone who's listening that doesn't know what hurricane harbor is um it's a water park and it is connected to magic mountain and magic mountain is an amusement park with roller coasters and everything but i was eight years old and i wanted to go to a water park because my birthday is at the beginning of august so it's always very warm and um i just i loved the water as a kid so my dad took me and of course my mom didn't want to go uh so it was just the two of us and i was we were there well not i was we were there all day and i do remember my dad making phone calls trying to get a hold of my mom and uh, this water park actually is about an hour and a half maybe hour 45 maybe even less than that from where i live so he's trying to get a hold of my mom and um he's not able to get a hold of her and i don't i don't remember why he was calling her i don't know if he was just calling her to check in or what the situation was um but he wasn't able to get a hold of her and we stayed till probably about like maybe five o'clock six o'clock in the afternoon and i remember before we left uh, they had like a gift shop and i asked my dad if i could get something for my mom and uh they had like those cool like i don't know if they're like how to describe them but it's like um a big display with like a bunch of like these beautiful like polished rocks and you could like fill like the velvet bag with as many rocks as you want for like five six bucks so he said that i could and the reason i wanted to give my mom these rocks uh is because like i said she used to work at a hospital and there was one time that she actually brought me home this like beautiful pink rock and it was like um a polished rock i don't it it was nice i loved it and of course i don't have it anymore because i was a wee child um but that was why i wanted to get her the rocks because she had given me some rock or a rock sorry not some rocks a rock and so we came home and i remember walking into the house and um we had like a an iron gate that my dad built um so that way people couldn't ring the doorbell while my mom was sleeping and we walked through the gate and it was very very quiet like eerily quiet and we went inside and in our the home that we used to live in we had a very long hallway so you would um walk in through the front door and you would make a right and that was where all the rooms and um my bathroom was at and at the very very end of the hall was my parents room and so we walked in and it was very quiet and my mom didn't have work that day so my dad was very confused as to where she was at and why her car was still there but she was nowhere to be found and as you walk down that hallway um we had kind of like um i don't i don't know how to explain it but it 
was almost like a carved out like counter I guess is what you could say and it had like cabinets up top and then there was like a like but I guess a countertop and then there were more uh, counters at the bottom and there was just I remember seeing like just crimson little dots just everywhere and I was so confused I was like what the hell like what is this and there was a note that um, the EMTs had left on that counter saying that they had taken my mom to uh, the county hospital and um, it was actually the hospital that she worked at but obviously the psychiatric unit and at this point I, I didn't know what what was going on um, I just knew that my mom wasn't there and that they had taken her someone had taken her and I was so blessed to be able to have the most amazing godparents ever and um, my dad just put me back in the truck and he took me down the street to my godparents house and I remember him carrying me inside because I was so like I just panicked I mean I was a child I didn't know what was going on my mom was gone and my dad wasn't saying anything and I could tell you know that that little empath in me just knew that something something was off like he was upset and we went inside and he kind of sat me in um the entry room at my godfather's house and I heard him talking to my god my godparents and they were mostly Spanish speaking um they did understand me when I spoke to them in English and um I do understand Spanish but I I don't remember if I didn't know what they were talking about or if they were just too far that I couldn't hear them but um shortly after I told myself I wasn't gonna cry um but um shortly after my dad walked past me he was going to the front door and um my godfather was walking with him and my dad was like you can't come with me and um sorry had to take a minute um you know he was like you can't come with me and that was hard very hard for me um i was eight for one for two i went everywhere with my dad there wasn't a day that went by that i wasn't with him like that was that was my person and i could see that he was crying and he was trying to like keep me from seeing it but i saw it like it was very dark but um he was crying and I ran I ran right after him out of the front door and my godfather picked me up and he was like you can't come with us and I just started like screaming and flailing my little body around because I wanted to go and 
in that moment, my little rocks went everywhere. I had my little, I was holding onto my little velvet pouch of rocks and um, they just went flying. And he got me back inside. And as soon as he put me down, I made a break for it again. And my godmother actually grabbed me before I could make it outside. And they had these big double doors that um, one of them stays locked at all times and you kind of just only open it if you need to bring something large into the home. Um, so I, I grabbed onto that door for dear life and I tried so hard to just break free and follow my dad. And of course that wasn't possible. And, um, one of their sons actually had to come and like pry my hands off. <laughs> he had to come pry my hands off the door and, you know, they closed it, locked it. And I don't remember directly what happened right after that. Um, I don't remember my dad coming to pick me up. Um, I don't remember leaving, but I do remember it's, it's absolutely crazy to me what your brain allows you to remember and what it blocks out in order to save you. Um, I do remember the, um, the sofa that I was sitting on in that room was like, um, I, I don't know if, the, if they were like, I think they reminded me of like birds of paradise kind of a vibe going on. Like they had like the yellow background with like the, the green, um, these big tropical green leaves. And then they had little birds of paradise kind of in them. And I remember that. I definitely remember sitting on that sofa. Absolutely just distraught. But, um, I'm, now that I'm older and I know what I know, I'm so grateful that my dad did not take me with him um, to go see her because that hospital that they initially took her to um, was not and still is not a great facility. It's, it's horrible. It's a very scary psych unit to go to. Um, the patients there are just, they're dealing with a lot and to take an eight-year-old child in there is just, I'm forever grateful that he didn't, um, he didn't take me with him. But before I continue, I guess I'll, you know, tell you what happened. Um, my mom decided that, um, she no longer wanted to be, she no longer wanted to be here. And, um, I will probably touch on my mom's story in a different episode, but, um, I'm not going to get too deep into it right now, but she, we don't, we don't communicate with her family, with her side of the family. And it, for whatever reason, um, I'm so grateful for her sister. Um, her sister actually came to see her 
that day. And um, if it weren't for her, uh, my mom probably would not be here right now. And I don't know that I'd be telling you this story. Um, but she came to see her and she saw that my mom had um, made significant cuts um, to her wrists and she you know told her that she didn't want to be here anymore and that she was ending it all and you know my my aunt couldn't get through the gate because it was locked and um she called emergency services and i don't know if they broke like if they broke the the lock to get her i don't i don't that i don't know but if it weren't for her, um, she definitely would not be here right now. And I don't think I will ever be able to thank her enough. Um, because even though I do have a very rocky and sometimes toxic relationship with my mom, you know, I, I wouldn't want her to not be here. And, um... Yeah, so um, they came, took her, uh, they're the one, the emergency responders were actually the ones that left the note, um, letting my dad know where she was taken, and um, I wish I could say that the story kind of ends there, but it definitely, probably for the next, I mean, even now, this was back in 2000, and even now, it's still a struggle, but for the next eight, nine years after that, it felt like there were nothing but downs. There weren't really any ups. And um, I will, you know, I'm already at 30 minutes, so I'm going to go ahead and um, end this episode here. And um, I will definitely have the second part up very, very soon. Um and hopefully, I'm not even going to say hopefully, um, there might even be a third part, I don't know, um, I just feel like it's important to continue to just bring awareness and constantly remind people that even though they feel like they're alone, they're really not, as, you know, like, I know it's hard to believe otherwise, um, but there's so much help out there and if you or anyone you know is having suicidal thoughts or anything, they're just, they need someone to talk to. There's so many resources available and I just hope that you will utilize them and I'm going to put the phone numbers in the, um, episode description and just don't forget you're you're not alone ever and if you are dealing with mental illness or you're living with someone who has a mental illness just be strong and just know that there's nothing wrong with you there's nothing wrong with them and i hope that one day like society won't have any sort of negative stigma around mental illness because 
it's it's not normal but it is normal if that makes sense um the brain chemistry is not normal but it is normal i mean it's not something that people have control over so i don't think they should be vilified for something that they can't control and you know something that torments them and demons that they struggle with uh just remember there's always resources and um I will have part two up shortly. <laughs>